0: It's back to Nashville, Tennessee this week on the TICE podcast as I speak with Chris Hallenbach, CISO for the Americas at Tanium, the endpoint security and systems management company. My name is Anna Delaney, editor at TICE, and I caught up with Chris at Tanium's recent annual conference, Converge, where we discussed the industry's need for critical thinkers, mentors, as well as the challenges around visibility, human nature, and the threat landscape. Before joining Tanium in 2016, Chris worked for six years on the US Department of Homeland Security's Computer Emergency Readiness Team. So I was eager to probe and hear his views on the current state of cybersecurity. Over to the interview. So
1: Chris, what are the challenges right now for you as a CISO?
2: Um, I think, you know, it's a, it's a variety of things. Um, visibility is always a piece of that puzzle. Uh, knowing what you have, uh, knowing what is actually under management uh, versus the things that you can't manage because you can't get onto them and, and actively patch them or things of that sort. Um, but the migration of data and, and where we're heading with it, a lot of it is moving cloud. Um, so knowing where things are in the cloud is another part of it. And then it, that's also visibility. Uh, it's so easy to spin up new instances of servers in the cloud. It's it's effortless, um, which leads to a different form of sprawl within IT and it can create a lot more uh, forms of shadow IT, so having visibility there is cr- critical.
1: And what's really helped you? How do you deal with visibility yourself? Like, what are the steps?
2: Just knowing what assets are there, uh, then knowing what's on those assets, and knowing what frequency I'm getting that data, and getting an idea again of the completeness of that information is the big thing. Um, my favorite thing to see people say is, "Oh, well, we're ninety-five percent uh, patched for all critical vulnerabilities." Great. Out of how many assets total in your environment? Um, if I'm really patching ninety-five percent of only half of my assets, that's a very different picture. You know, what's what's the real risk picture that I'm dealing with? Um, so for us internally at tanium we use tanium as a piece of that puzzle to get that visibility we're a very mobile workforce on the whole we have of course people at our headquarters and, and one of our big dev shops but the vast majority of our workforce is is remote workers uh, and so tanium is a big part of that for us to be able to manage those machines wherever they are in the world and get that visibility
1: how have you managed that this remote workforce
2: Well, the Tanium agent is installed as a a part of everything we do. Um, So I can query those assets, whether the um, person on our sales staff is at a Starbucks on the Wi-Fi or in a hotel or even on an airplane if they're on the Wi-Fi. As long as they're Internet connected, I can query that asset in real time, get information about what processes are running on that asset, what the patch level is. How well does it conform to our established baseline for configuration? And then apply patches as appropriate, right? That's the other piece of it. Or if I have an alert from our threat response part of the suite, I can even quarantine that asset even if they're halfway around the globe and then start the investigation on that machine to understand what has transpired. Um, That's a big piece of it. If I can know, that I can effectively touch that asset. I have confidence that I'm getting all the data I need and I can answer up the chain on that.
1: Mm. Now according to a recent survey conducted by Fortinet, 40 percent of CISOs they surveyed cite the increased need for professional learning and development for their employees and this includes teaching security awareness. Mm. How do you tackle security awareness?
2: Um, it's, it's a mixed bag. Uh, so internally we we've done things like phishing campaigns um, where you know you use a company that sends uh, email lures to people and tries to get them to click on it. Of course if they do it can present them with educational materials that say hey had this been a bad guy. These are the types of things that could have happened. Be sure to look out for these telltale signs. Um, simple things. We, uh, our mail system automatically labels incoming mail as in, it changes the subject line. And it'll put the words external at the beginning of every email so that automatically people should have a clue that, hey, this is coming from outside the organization. Maybe you should spend a little more time scrutinizing it before you action it. That's not perfect, um, you know, because there are instances where people have gotten inside of an environment and sent a mail from inside. Um, But you mitigate those things through two-factor authentication and other things. I don't know, uh, education for end users is is one piece of it. Getting a a skilled workforce for for cybersecurity in particular is a whole other discussion. That's a challenge for everyone. Um, One of the things I see on that front is there's a want to send everyone off to college and have them go through and get a four-year degree in something cybersecurity related. I'm not convinced that that's necessarily the path we need to answer the shortage we have. Uh, I've had a number of discussions with a lot of people. And if nothing else, I'll take an English lit major who has strong analytical skills, who are just critical thinkers, and I'll teach them the cyber pieces of it pretty easily, actually. Um, The harder part turns out to be getting someone who is a good critical thinker above all else. Uh, so I do think we have to rethink how we encourage people to go into the field, how we select people for those skill sets. We tend to hire people who are better tinkerers but programmer-type mentality rather than just problem solvers first.
1: I mean, how how do you think the industry could adapt to attract English lit majors?
2: That's a challenge. I mean, like. My background, <laughs> I started out as a bio major and then a political science major. Um, so I definitely come from a non-traditional approach to things, but there were a lot of people that did that. Uh, the person that I replaced at my university when I went into becoming a system administrator, turns out he was a political science major for me. Um, so it's just, it's just interesting. You, you, have, you have to have it more of an open mind to it. The tendency in the industry has been to focus on certifications and specific degrees that are quote relevant uh, as the first step. And I think maybe using I guess, well vetted uh, industry standard um, assessment tools for things around like critical thinking and stuff like that uh, would be better served as that first screening step than a keyword search match that a, a lot of HR does around finding the candidate. Um, that would be probably a better thing. It, it's a change in mindset um, to get there. I came from government, where everything was about if it wasn't a direct match for the job description and years of experience in a very specific way, the person was never considered, uh, and that was a that made it very hard to bring in someone from a non traditional uh, background, even though arguably they could run circles around other candidates.
1: I mean. Uh- there is, I mean, some people do need to be technically advanced. They Absolutely. need those technical skills. Do you think there's this, some way of sort of fast tracking them into the industry?
2: Um, yeah, I, I honestly think some of that comes from, uh, in the US, that, that comes from our, our community colleges more so than it does our four year schools. Um, our our two year programs, where there's a better uh, or a tighter coupling. Of the professors with those students, it's more one-on-one or you know a small group that those professors can really identify those people be- and and push them into it. Uh, I think that's where we're going to address a lot of our our shortfalls in and having enough talent in the pool is. From the community colleges more so than from the universities. In some so, are,
1: uh, how do the community colleges work? I mean, can anybody go? Yeah,
2: uh, is uh, you know the the, the standards. Uh, I mean, it is a a, a degree granting program, associate's degrees, two year programs. Um, but it, it's more accessible. I mean, the, the their community by nature, they're they're closer to where people live. They can commute to them. They can work around. Um, other jobs and, and things that they have while attending uh, to save money. Uh, and that's a barrier to bringing people in. And you know, I think those, again, because there is a, a tighter coupling with the professor and the students, because there's smaller class sizes and, and more uh, focus there, that those professors have an opportunity to identify someone who's maybe non traditional in terms of where they're going with their studies and encourage them to go study some of these other areas as well. Um, th- that yeah, I don't think you would see as often in a traditional four-year school.
1: And so you mentioned phishing emails and sort mm-hmm. of security awareness. So how how effective
0: is training?
2: It's, it's a necessary piece of the puzzle. I've seen organizations get really, really good with it, um, but it takes... Repeated effort—you can't let it up, let up on it at all. You can't just do it once a year to to check some compliance box and, and move on. It has to be a continuous thing. Um, so we,
1: is the daily thing?
2: Um, not necessarily daily, but you know, you, you need to constantly create a buzz and have people wondering, "Hey, is this email something I should be doing something with, or maybe make it easier for them to report?" That's another thing. If I could put a button inside the, the email interface to make it easier for them to report a suspicious email to security, right now, most organizations, it's, well, hit forward, make sure you capture these headers, follow these complicated steps, and send it to the uh, secure, internal security team. It's a lot of steps that someone has to remember, and there's it's a barrier, right? More people are just likely to go, eh, I don't trust that email, and hit delete. Um, if you can lower that barrier to how they how they report things, they're more apt to do it. Uh, I think that's that's a piece of the puzzle. If you can reduce the amount of spam that comes into an organization when suddenly some gets through, people take notice. Like, well, hey, wait, that normally doesn't land in my inbox. Um, that's not what you want them to do. You want them to notice something that's outside of the norm. Um, so you just have to keep doing it, it's repetitive. Um, I think a lot of organizations, they'll do it for a little while, lose interest, and they fall back to old pattern. Mm. It's, it's not going to be perfect. Human nature is going to win every time. And not everything is about people clicking on a phishing link. Um, you know, in my government time, I saw uh, the website of a takeout restaurant that happened to be near the victim's uh, office. Uh, had the website compromised and it delivered a malicious PDF of the takeout menu. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they knew that that victim organization often are gonna order from that place. So it was perfect. It's a legitimate website that should be safe that wasn't. So the end users weren't doing anything wrong. They weren't breaking any policies. They were just browsing the web to get order lunch and they still got compromised. Um, So we also have to build systems that assume compromises will happen despite the best efforts. And that's another thing leaders have to be okay with. We have to be okay with incidents will happen despite our best efforts. We have to design our systems better to survive those things, to detect them sooner, be able to respond faster, and restore service just as quickly so that we minimize the impact that the events have always want to prevent them when we can, but when they do happen we want to restore service quickly to limit that impact.
1: Mm. I mean threats, they're obviously increasing at a rapid pace and... Uh,
2: Are they? <laughs> no, really. Are I mean, they not? Well, I think our awareness of them, um, the novelty of, of, of how a particular attack happens has changed, but fundamentally I'm not convinced uh, too much has changed. One, a couple of things have. Um, we've seen an uptick, obviously, in more destructive things, ransomware. Uh, we've certainly seen destructive attacks from more nation states uh, at times that have occurred. Once, once things like Stuxnet happen, people suddenly realize that, oh, hey, this is, this is a viable thing to conduct cyber warfare in a way and, and, and degrade an enemy or outright disrupt them. So that, that part, I think, has changed some things. But I don't think the, we, that we have a lot of new threats. It's, it's uh, many of the same things, just different twists on it. Um, cyber like criminal actors, it's a lot easier. The barrier to entry to become a cyber actor and do things that were traditionally only nation states that could do, because it took a lot of resources to do it, it's commoditized.
1: So that is increasing. And obviously, more people are using the internet, so like more entry points.
2: So there's always been this background noise on the internet of you know, automated worms and other things that have always been out there. And, and so I think it's just, it has become easier for some adversaries to do things, but I don't think it's necessarily changed how they ultimately gain access to data and gain access to networks. Like I said, there's new twists on it. Um, crypto jacking sure Um, stealing resources is new um, but what is my risk to the organization with crypto jacking on the whole right Uh, slowdown in performance but am I are they stealing my data from my organization or are they stealing some CPU cycles Um, is there a reputational risk if I'm a company that they pop my website and use it to compromise other people, visitors to my site. That's a reputational risk that is a concern. But in terms of data loss in that situation, not really. Um, So you you do have to develop a a degree of pragmatism around say, yes, it's a concern, yes, it's a problem, but which provides a a real risk to the business uh, and to the execution of a mission. Cryptojacking, not so much. Um, data theft, data destruction, much more so.
1: You know what I was going to say is,
2: you know, with all of this,
1: I mean, this pressure on the CISO. Yeah.
2: Oh, oh yes. I mean,
1: how can you, you know, keeping up with new developments, keeping up with new threat intelligence, managing this whole system, managing the expectations of of the board you know, and the reputation, maintaining the reputation of the company. I mean, how do you not feel overwhelmed.
2: Take a deep breath um, <laughs> and and recognize that there's only so much you can do. Um, and if you're not getting the necessary support from your executive peers as well as from the board, are you in the right organization? Um, there's a lot of people that just they become martyrs to what they feel is the right thing, and that's great. But after a certain point, you have to say, despite your best efforts, have you been able to get them to the right thought process and understand the risk risk posture and give you the resources necessary to do and authority to do the job you're supposed to do? And if the answer is yes, great, keep keep fighting the fight. If not, there's plenty of other companies that don't have a CISO that need your, your talent and help. Um, that's that's part of that puzzle um, I think that's changing a lot in a lot of organizations um, boards are becoming much more aware Re- regulation is driving that to make the boards care um, so they're asking the right questions biggest single shift as a as a CISO is you have to understand the business you have to make take the time to understand what the business cares about and why you know, If I go to, uh, a, to the board and I were to talk in, in deep technical detail to a typical uh, board or, or committee on that board, I'm going to lose them two minutes into the conversation. But if I can talk to them more broadly about risk and, and gaps in, in that risk and, and how, how we're approaching those things, that's a conversation they're, they're ready to have all day. They manage risk as a part of what a board does. Um, so it, that's a different conversation. And I think when it came back, coming back to education, we have to do better about educating um, people who want to become, go into a CISO role or just any level of leadership within security to help them understand business and understanding how to communicate with the business and, Convey those technical details into the broader terms that the business understands in its day to day.
1: And how did you learn?
2: Uh, some of it's dumb luck. Some, of it, a lot of it's experience over time. Uh, some of it's hard fought. Um, just you know, it, it trial by error. Um, and uh, here and there, finding a good mentor. That's that's another part of it. You you have to find someone else that can do that. Did and you find one? At different times in in my career, you know, and and as you build a network of people, you you have that opportunity to pick up the phone or, you know, send a message to them over, um, you know, Signal or whatever other app you use to keep in touch with people or drop them an email and pick their brain on something. Or, you know, hey, we're both in town for the RSA conference, let's go out and get a beer, Uh, you know, even if you only see that, that person once or twice a year mentorship is a big part of it and so as we're growing our leadership ranks in security it's we need our, our business uh, colleagues to reach over and help coach us we need to be more proactive and reaching out to them and saying help me learn and then we need to be looking downrange to to the newcomers and helping coach them up as well very well. thank you so much, Chris. Thank you.
0: Thanks to Chris Hallenbach, CISO for the Americas at Tanium. I hope you found that insightful. Before I go, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to our podcast if you have not already. You can also comment and rate us. We appreciate all your support. That's all for this week.
2: Join us next time for more Cyber Conversations.